All right, thank you, worship team, and everyone that serves. Uh, didn't the worship team do a great job? Let's just appreciate them. And I mean, there were some challenges this morning, and, and they just flowed through them. And even if Sean hadn't said anything, you probably wouldn't even have noticed. But uh, appreciate everyone and that serves and just the effort. That's what we talk about when we talk about community, is everyone contributing, participating, serving, giving what they can, and we appreciate our, our musicians, but also those that serve the front door, downstairs with our kids in every way, visible, invisible. We are a team here together, and that's the beauty of, of New Life, is that we, we don't do it alone, but we do it together, and that's, that's what community is all about. You know, we all long for this community. And it shows up in even the TV shows we watch, right? Um, if you grew up in the 80s, I mean, it was... And, and, and you didn't go to church. You watched this show about a bunch of people that gathered in a bar, right? And, and us church people didn't watch that one because it was in a bar. But, but there was this show, and, 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 the, and the theme song was really catchy, right? You know, don't you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? And they're always glad you came, right? And, and it was a real catchy tune, but then my dad would say, turn off that junk, you know, they're in a bar, you know, you don't want to watch that garbage, you know. Anyway, so uh, then the older we would watch it, you know. But, but I mean, there's that longing to be part of a, a community of, you know, dysfunctional people that sort of get along and cover for each other and help each other. And, and then it goes on, you know, and later on it was, you know, Seinfeld and his friends. And then it was Friends, the show Friends. And then it's any number of police or detective shows where you see this camaraderie of, of men and women working and serving together. We come up to think, to, no, to Remembrance Day, and, and, and we're reminded of, of just the camaraderie of, of, of veterans and of people that are enlisted, and, and, and we're thankful for, for their service. But there's something about being part of, of community. Maybe you've, you've played on teams where, where just you had a certain unity in that team, and, and then you've played on other teams where you didn't have it, and it was just, it was frustrating. And, and the beauty is we get this picture of the early church in this community. The term that Pastor Frank talked about last week is the term fellowship. They shared things in common, and we're going to talk about that today. But let me just read this passage, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, just to give us a picture again of what we're talking about. Here's the passage. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Reverential awe came over everyone. Many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common. They began selling their property and possessions and distributing the process to everyone as anyone had need. Every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God, having the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. Oh, to be a fly on the wall in the early church in Jerusalem. I mean, these people have been drugged through the ringer. I mean, they follow Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus is on a cross dying. A long day waits, and then Sunday shows up, and he's not dead anymore. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. And then suddenly they hear news. He's, he's yeah, someone saw him. Someone saw him. Someone, you know, and then he appeared at one point to 500 people at once. You're like, well, what's going on here? Forty days later, Jesus is up in Galilee, and he's given the final commission to his disciples, and he ascends into heaven. I'm coming back, but go to Jerusalem and just wait for the gift that's coming. And so they're back in Jerusalem, and they're praying, and boom, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And these Galilean Jews, fairly regionalized in their experience of life, not being really 
eclectic or, or gone beyond the realms of, of the border of, of the region in which they grew up in, suddenly are speaking foreign dialects. Italian, Lebanese, Greek languages, Albanian language. I mean, anywhere where Jews lived, they were visiting Jerusalem, they heard their own dialects from these uneducated, unlearned men, and they're like, what is going on here? The Holy Spirit had come. And some people were suggesting, well, maybe these guys were drunk. And then Peter gets up and says, no, we're not drunk. Let me tell you what just happened. And quotes the book of Joel and other passages in the Old Testament to say, we are living in the fulfillment of God's promises, the prophetic promises right here and now. This Jesus whom you crucified is, is risen. He is Lord. And they're like, well, what do we do? He's like, repent and believe. And so, boom, these people turn to Jesus. 3,000 people are saved. And it's right on, on, on the back of this that we find this passage. Now they're, they're devoting themselves to learning what the apostles said. Why? Because the apostles were with Jesus. They were able to explain and talk about all the things Jesus taught. And then they're praying, they're fellowshipping, they're breaking bread. And there is this amazing miracle that goes on. Not the miracles at the hands of the apostles. I mean, those are pretty cool. But the even bigger miracle in this text is that people seem to just let go of their ownership of their property for the common good. Verse 44. But, there, but just before we get there, there's this one slide here. In this passage, they're, they're talking about everyone. All, everything, everyone, every day, all. Like, like it's this all-encompassing phrase of like, this was the tone of the whole community was this, this, this sense of like everyone is moving in the same direction. No one is forgotten. Everyone is a part of it. Everything, all. You know, it's like this one, their whole life's now consumed by this new reality that they're living in. Well, let's look at verses 44 and 45 and really get the piece here. First of all, we see synchronization says that all the believers were together, or they were together. There's this unity of movement. They're all moving in synchronized fashion, kind of like synchronized swimming, you know, you all got to kick at the same time and breathe, and, you know, otherwise you're going to punch someone in the head, or, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's careful. Or, or if you're Canadian, you might think of synchronization as something like this. The snowbirds, right? This is Saskatchewan. This is our own, our very own picture of synchronization. These, these men and women fly in formation, and, and sometimes just with limited space between the wings, they have to make their movements. If you get out of sync, it ruins the whole show. <laughs> it's a disaster. Now, the truth of the matter is, as I said in the first service, is some of us, unfortunately, have been a part of a church where, where, where one person went out of sync. And the whole formation was shot, and suddenly it's this chaos, and people are flying in all sorts of different directions, and it's hard to get back on track. And the early church reminds us that there, as things began, there was this, this movement, and they're moving together. They're all together, moving together. And, and we'll see what, what that looks like. But, and, and the piece of that is, is their willingness to, to sacrifice and to serve and to look after each other. They were synchronized. They're all moving in the same direction. You see, ultimately, Jesus is, is the commander of our, our troop here. As long as we follow Jesus, we, we, we find ourselves synchronized. As long as the Holy Spirit guides us towards Jesus, like it, it brings wonderful unity to the church. But the moment one person decides to listen to someone else's direction or orders or put their own needs in front of the others, 
I want to do this. And Jesus said, do this, do this. I'm going to do my thing. That's when you get out of sync. But here, they're the church. They're, they're synchronized. And there's this support, you see, number two. They held all things in common. We see this in Acts 4, verse 32. It says, the group of those who believed were in one heart and mind. No one said that any of his possessions was his own, but everything was held in common. Now, some people take this as, well, shouldn't the church do this today? And, and certain groups even in our world do this today. There are places around Lloydminster where groups of people gather together in this understanding of commonality and unity. They don't own anything themselves. The group owns everything. You, want, you know what I'm talking about. Some people say, is this normative? Is this prescriptive for the church? Now, we don't see this in the latter part of the book of Acts. We don't see this in any of the epistles. The principle is, is there. But the command that we should all become, you know, live in a commune and, you know, become hippies and all share everything, you know, I mean, that, that, that's not the way it works. But, but what, what it is saying here is there was this intense desire to support each other. And I think in the early church, they really believed that Jesus was going to come at any moment. And so there was this apocalyptic expectation of, of like, you know what's happening anytime now? Let's just, let's just, you know, let's just live for the, for the moment when Jesus returns. And, and so they're just, they're selling stuff. They're looking out for people because people were hurting and needed help. And they're like, we got to help them. Let's help them. And so there was this support. They were all looking out for each other. Who doesn't want to be a part of a group like that? No one forgot. Everyone noticed. When someone's in need, when someone's hurting, everyone steps up to support that person. I mean, who doesn't want to be a part of something like that? Who doesn't long to be a community where, where when you're in pain, there are brothers and sisters there to, to hold you up? to carry you through because life is full of that. Sometimes life is full, sometimes life is empty and you're like, like how do I ride this? Well, the church provides this, this, this place where, where we, we can help each other through the highs and lows of life. There was support. There was also sacrifice. They sold their possessions and their property. This willingness to let go to liquidate for the benefit of those in need. It's a remarkable piece. I mean, you know, you ask people to sacrifice, and it's like, wow, you know, well, you know, I, I give a little bit, but you know, you know, like, uh, how much do you want me to give? I mean, here we have a picture in Acts four. I mean, Barnabas is basically selling his RRSP or his, you know, family inheritance, perhaps even his Jewish inheritance. I mean, we don't know, but, but he has this piece of land. He doesn't really need it. He sells it. He gives it to the common purse to help those in need. And you're like, whoa, it was sacrifice. I mean, I'm, I'm Ukrainian. And, and my people came over here and settled all over the prairies. And uh, I, I was just marveled because before I got married, I, my, my grandma passed away, my baba. We went to her funeral. Tiny little Greek Orthodox church near Egremont. Egremont is a little like you spit and you miss it, you know, and, and, and you drive you know, a few miles up the road and there's another one. And then you drive a few miles this way and there's another one. And, and like all through the Thorhill County, there's all these little Orthodox churches. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, and, and they're built, you know, in, in the early 1900s. And so these people come over here, peasants from Ukraine with nothing. 
And somehow these peasants living in little log houses or Saudis are putting up these Orthodox churches that are still standing today. Like, how did these people do this? How did, how, how did, how did my, my, my people do this? Well, they did it at sacrifice. They're like, we need to have the church be the center of the community. And so let's all pitch in and build. And they built it well. It wasn't cheap clapboard construction. I mean, these are solidly built, ornately finished little Greek Orthodox churches all over. At great sacrifice to themselves, they built these little churches, and they're all over. Now, now the 33, four generations later, they, no one's looking after them because no one has continued that, that type of commitment because the sacrifice has, is no longer reality for their children. But, but for my grandparents and their community, it was so important. So it was near the church. We need to look out for each other. What does this look like in, in, in modern terms, right? Well, I have a little video here I wanted to show you. Uh, this kind of gives a, a modern couple and how they learned this in their own lives. We'll watch that video. My wife and I met in college, and she's an actuary. Um, so she sets the rates that agents charge for insurance. I'm a CPA by trade. I started in public accounting and now have been at Sears uh, Holdings Corporation for 13 years. So we both have been blessed to be in careers where we're able to make a good living and we've been able to take some really amazing steps in our journey as a result. Our pastor talked about an individual who had a gift for uh, generating a lot of income and he had capped himself at a certain point and as additional funds came in, he just gave them away. When he gave to the church, he gave so generously that a lot of his friends and family told him that he was crazy. And so he asked Bill to just remind him every now and then that he wasn't crazy for giving to the level that he gives. That was something that my wife and I really resonated with. So we just began our journey of really looking at our resources as something that truly wasn't ours and, and how could we manage them well and be able to give more of them. We're trying to figure things out, what, what it was going to look like for us. So we decided that we wanted to live simply to cap what we were spending each month and to be able to give freely beyond that whenever a need arose. So we uh, have managed our finances in a way that we could pay off our house, we can pay off our cars. We cut cable, we cut our home phone line, we've just simplified things. A lot of people ask us, why don't you get your new car? Why don't you get a bigger house? And, and it's created some great conversations that we can say, you know, we, we don't need bigger, we don't need newer. We can uh, live simply off of what we have and it gives us the ability to give in more freely and to things that God's put on our heart. So every time another dollar comes in beyond what we were already living off of, we have the freedom to use it to help other people. So when someone needs help, we want people to know that they can come to us and we have the ability to help them. And instances have arisen where, where friends have, or family have needed help with medical bills and we've been able to help them. Yeah, obviously in this culture, it, the, our kids are bombarded with all kinds of messages of they need this, they need that. 
And it's hard because we don't really want to feed into that. We want them to see that they can live differently. One thing that we decided to do this year was to give them $100 to give away. We wanted to see where their heart was, where their passion lied. When we've been out at restaurants, the kids have picked families in the restaurant where we would pick up the tab for the lunch. And they used their $100 that we gave them to be able to give away. We want our kids to see the difference that they can make with their little lives. Definitely by setting a cap and having these resources that we can give, it, not only does it free us up to listen to God's whisper and to be able to respond more easily, but um, there's been so many uh, amazing instances that had we not made the decision to become debt-free and, and give freely, we would have missed out on. Now, there are people like that in New Life, but I wouldn't want to put anyone on the hot seat because most people that are generous like this in New Life don't want to do it for the sake of your attention. So I just picked this generic couple because to say, what does it look like? I mean, I've read stories in, in church history. John Wesley, right? He made a certain amount of money and as his income went up, he kept living on, the, on that original amount and he just gave away more, right? And his, his motto was, you know, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And that was what John Wesley said. Well, here's, here's a modern example of a couple saying, you know what, we're going to realign our whole life so that we could be generous. Now, you don't have to follow their example, but the, the, the spirit of that is when you understand what God has done for you in Christ, it brings you to this place where you just want to be a part of what he's doing, which is the fourth point, was this idea of sharing. They held all, oh, and they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. So unlike a cooperative or a credit union. It wasn't like everyone contribute and everyone take dividends out. It was we contribute and then as people have needs, we can help them. That's the way it worked. Let's support each other, they, they shared. And which is what we're doing. When we, when we do this, you know, the Emmanuel's child and then the shoeboxes, it's, it's a partnership. It's you sharing with a church in Ukraine, in Belarus, in Nicaragua, in Honduras, in El Salvador, it's, it's you giving a pastor or a local evangelist the opportunity to give a box to a child in a third world country and share with them the greatest gift, Jesus Christ, at the same time. Or a pastor in, you know, in, the, in Eastern Europe will, will take your star with your name on it and will give it to a kid with a gift, with some food, as, as they present a Christmas sh presentation to them. And, and it'll be the highlight of their holiday and you've partnered, enabled pastors and churches in impoverished regions to be able to share Christ and to bless people through your partnership. It's sharing. It's us stepping up and, and doing our part. When I first came to, to New Life, we, we, we started, hey, we need, we need some chairs. Our chairs were breaking. There was a stack of broken ones in this room over here. I'm like, hey, we need new chairs, right? And so, so people stepped up and began to, to give towards chairs. Some people bought one chair. Some families bought six chairs. Some families bought 20 chairs. It didn't matter, but everyone did what they could. And, and those families, if you're some of them, you know what I'm saying. You come in here and you sit in this chair and you, and you say, I was a part of this. I got to be a part of this project. I'm enjoying the, you know, and I'm watching other people enjoy. And I said to some, you know, buy a chair for yourself. Buy a chair for, for someone in our community that needs to hear Jesus. And so, so you can watch new people come to the church and say, yeah, you know what? I was a part of that. They were sharing. The challenge today is that many people don't have a church. 
And what's been happening in the last two years, people call our church and say, I need help. And not just financial, but sometimes it's like, like I need to move and I, and I have no way of doing this. I, I, stuff is sitting in, in store, right? And I, I, I got a truck, but I don't know what to do. And they're, they're so desperate, they're calling us. And, and several times we have sent teams and they've loaded up the trucks for these people and, and they're gone and, and, and we never see them again. And, but, but it's like, if you were part of a church, you would never have to make that call because you would just tell your friends, hey, I got to move. And they'd be like, great, when are you moving? We'll be there. And that's the way it works in a church. But when you don't have a church, boy, you're, you're all alone and, and you're wondering, how, how do I get help? And sometimes you have friends, sometimes you don't. But, but this is what the idea of this local church was, this synchronized supporting, sacrificing, and sharing group of people that were looking out for each other's needs. So that anyone that had a need, they could help them out. That's the way the church works. We had a, a single mom who was in a difficult situation a few years ago in a different church. And, and she came to my associate and she showed him her budget. Her husband who had left her, had been unfaithful, was, was you know, Given her grief, wasn't given her money, and was, and she's like, "Look, I'm making this much a month, a month. Here's my bills. You know, she's trying to go to school. She's working part time, and she's like, I'm just 300 bucks short every month. And so, what did we do? We gave her 300 bucks a month because we saw she there was no room anywhere in her in her budget for for flex. She's like, I just can't make it to the end of the month. We're like, okay, that's what the church is here for. The moment her financial situation changed, boom, she was off the support. But we just carried her through that season. That's what the church should do, right? We're here to help each other the good and the bad and the hard times, just like the early church. So who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like this? People moving in the same direction. People looking out for each other. No one forgotten. No one missed. Everyone contributing. Everyone taken care of. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? Well, people that think that church is about them getting their needs met. They don't want anything to do with a church like this. You mean you want me to contribute? You want me to give? You want me to... No, no, church is about me getting what I want out of it. And, and that's foreign to the book of Acts. It's foreign to this group of people here in Acts chapter 2. They're coming and they're giving and they're contributing and they're also receiving the blessing at the same time. If you've gotten sucked into the idea that church is about you getting your needs met, then I, I'm sorry. That's not a biblical idea. Uh, the need you're going to have met is the need for salvation first and foremost, but... Coming to Jesus is you pouring out your life. It's you surrendering your life. We've sung about that. We'll sing about it again at the end. It's about you offering yourself, just as Christ offered himself for you. You in return saying, Lord, here, here's what I have. Take it and use it. And this is what we have. These people are so en engrossed by the gospel that they're just like, I want to help anyone and everyone I can. And so I have to come down to the nitty gritty at the end of the sermon. I don't talk about money a lot, but let me just give you some principles of, of finances and in the church, and, and the first one is, is this first one is that God owns everything. Psalm 24, verse 1, there it says that the, the Lord owns the earth and all it contains, the world and all who live in it. When you understand that, that God owns everything, it changes your perspective on the stuff you have, if you really believe it. Maybe you think that you own everything you have. You deserve it. You're entitled to it because you worked hard to get it. But the scripture doesn't teach us that. Scripture teaches us that this is God's earth. Everything on it belongs to him. We are tenants in his property. We are stewards of his creation. And that's, of course, the second point, is that God allows us to participate in his work through the resources he has entrusted to us. He's like, be a part of what I'm doing. 
so that I'm giving you extra money. Why? So you can make sure you get a few extra stars and pack a bunch of boxes this year because I got a bunch of kids that need help. And so you got extra money? Be a part of my work, God says. He allows us to participate in his work through the resources that he has entrusted to us. He could just drop bags of gold on, you know, on poor people's doorsteps or on churches in Russia, Ukraine, Nicaragua, whatever. But he somehow wants to use us. We're like, God, there's easier ways. I know there is, but he's like, when I involve you in the process, you grow, you draw near to me, you discover me in a fresh way. He invites us to participate. Jesus tells this story, right, of, of these stewards that, you know, this master's going away and he, he leaves his, his, his holdings to these stewards, right? So to the one steward, he gives like, here, half a million bucks. Look after this until I come back. The next one, here's a quarter of a million. Look after it. The next one, here's 50,000. Look after it. You know, work, work for it. You know, build it up and I'll, I'll be back and I'll see how you do. And so he goes away and these guys take this money and they act as though it's their own money, but they put it to work. This guy doubles his money. This guy doubles his money. This guy goes and buries the money. And lo and behold, the master comes back. Half a million's got a million. Look, look what I did. And I bought this business. I invested in this. I bought these cattle, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here it is. We've doubled the money. He's like, good job. Enter into the joy of the master. Same with, you know, 250 guy. He's got half a million now. Good job. Enter into the joy of the master. Single guy? Yeah, I know you're a hard dude. Real tough. So I just buried it because I was afraid. And then, here, you know, here's your, you know here, here's your 50 back. And he's like, you didn't do anything with it. Really? And the parable ends with this, like, horrific, like, throw that guy out where the weeping and gnashing of teeth is going on. Basically, an idiom for hell, right? This guy totally missed out on the stewardship of what I'd given him. We are stewards and trustees of everything that God has given us. So I have a picture here. Anyone know who this guy is? <laughs> Higgins off of Magnum P.I., the real Magnum P.I., not this modern garbage that's on today, but the real Magnum P.I., right? I mean, Higgins is this hot blonde girl. And that's not Higgins. This is Higgins. He's this British, you know, eccentric. He manages the estate of Robin Masters in Hawaii. He has access to his wine cellar, to his Ferrari, to his Mercedes. He can host events. He writes checks for Robin Masters. He has everything at his disposal. He can go on the beach. It's all his, but it's not his. He's just managing it for Robin Masters, this guy that never shows up in nine seasons. Who is Robin Masters? I think Higgins is Robin Masters, if you want to know the truth. But, but, you know, but, but he's, he's a steward. He's a trustee. He's looking after someone else's property for according to their will and for their purposes. And God says, I've given you stuff so that you can use that stuff to bless others and to be a part of my work in this world. He invites us into that. Number three, God does use our money to keep churches running and ministries and missions moving forward. Practically speaking, we, we can't turn the lights on without money. We can't have gas in the building and heat without money. We can't, you know, have coloring sheets for your kids downstairs without money. It takes money to run a church, and this is just a practical way, right? And God invites everyone in the church to contribute as they can to keep this thing going. I contribute every month 10% of my income minimum to this church because I, I derive benefit from it. My kids go and have a great youth ministry experience every Sunday with Pastor Elijah and Abigail, and I value that. So I contribute. Because I am receiving benefit from this church. I'm a part and I'm a contributor. I give according to what God has given to me. And, and that's all that we kind of ask for from anyone. If you value, benef get benefit from it, give to it. 
It costs money to make coffee, to have cream. But, but you know, this is just practical. I'm just speaking in the nitty-gritty. I'm not saying I want your money. I don't know what you give. I, I, that's between you and God, but I'm saying it, it just takes, it takes resources to make this happen. I have this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, with regard to the collection for the saints, please follow the directions that I gave to the churches of Galatia. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside some income and save it to the extent that God has blessed you so that a collection will not be up to me when I come. So he's like, basically, do it regularly. Do it proportionally. Make it a habit and make it reflect what you're taking in. So you're like, yeah, I'm on CPP. I only make this much a month. God knows what you make. Your giving reflects what, you, what, you, what you're receiving. But he says, you know, back in the first century, make it a habit. Make it a pattern. Make it proportionate. If you haven't started giving, I encourage you to begin this, this discipline of partnering with God in his kingdom efforts. If it's 1%, 2%, whatever it is, in the Old Testament they prescribe 10%. I'm not going to put a limit on, on what, what you should give. I mean, this couple obviously is giving, you know, they're both professionals on, on the video. They're giving, you know, they're probably giving above that 10%. Um, R.G. Letourneau was a guy that had all these patents for earth-moving equipment and, and heavy equipment. In the end of his life, he was giving away 95% of his income and living on 5%. Whatever you decide, just realize that there's great benefits to partnering with God financially and investing in kingdom work. The last one is this. God's generosity towards us in Christ sets the standard for our financial partnership in his kingdom work. When you understand what God has done for you, the little bit that you give back, it seems so paltry. It seems like you're just throwing pennies in a tin can. The amount, the cost, I mean, the high king of heaven, the royal son of God, the enthroned one, left his glorious, holy majestic presence of heaven to come and, and be born in, in, a, in a stable raised by a peasant family in poverty and, and, and grew up in, in a blue-collar occupation as a carpenter. But, but, but he, then he would go and, and suffer great humiliation and execution on the cross so that you and I can experience relationship with God. All that he gave up for us. And you can't give 10%, 20%. Can't fill a shoebox. You can't buy a car. I mean, for the <laughs> you could do both of these, and it's costing it'll cost you less than it will for your cell phone bill in a month. According to the richlist.com, if you make minimum wage in Alberta, you're still in the top seven percent in the world of wage earners. If you make fifty thousand as a single person, you're in the top three percent, two point six of income in the whole world. We're rich people. And with that wealth comes responsibility and opportunity. And so I, I invite you to experience God's generosity. Here's what the text says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to urge these brothers to go to you in advance and to arrange ahead of time the generous contribution you had promised so that this may be ready as a generous gift, not as something you feel forced to do. My point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow in every good work. He's, look at that verse. 
It's like this artesian well of is going to make all grace overflow. So because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow in every good work. I said, I'm inviting you into my artesian well of blessing and of grace. And part of this is you discovering this freedom of just letting go. Not irresponsibly, but specifically taking the initiative to invest in what God is doing for eternal benefits and for just the enlargement of his kingdom. So I don't talk about this a lot, and I'm probably not going to preach about this for a long time now, but I'm just saying this is a pathway to blessing. It's a pathway for you to move up and out. I find great delight in investing and giving away stuff. It fills up my family's I mean, we, we have been blessed in more ways. You think, okay, I'm helping someone out. And then you go and you try to help them out. And then you come back and you're like, man, that was such a blessing. And it, it's just like, you can never outgive God. And with your own life, with your finances, with your time, whatever it is, the more you give, the more you'll receive. That's the principle. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, I'm going to close with this. The team's going to come and lead us in just a kind of final game here. It says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That although he was rich, he became poor for your sake, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. We are rich in Christ. And that richness deeps, digs right down and, and makes us pull out the checkbook, log on to the e-transfer, whatever, and we begin to say, everything I have now belongs to it. It's his, and I want to use it for his glory. And so I invite you to be a part of, of the partnership here at New Life, of us moving up and out together and Part of that is just contributing so that we can continue to do this. Have great pastors on staff and ministry people and continue to expand our ministry focus in our community, in our region, and to the ends of the world. I mean, I'd love for New Life to start hiring pastors across the world, in Haiti, in, in Ukraine, and start sponsoring these guys and these, these families every month so that we have a staff that's outside the staff, that it's in the foreign world. I mean, but, but that takes money. That takes us saying, okay, let's step it up. Let's start, let's start sponsoring pastors. But we could do this. We all do it together. We're synchronized. We're support. We're sacrificial. And we're sharing. So we're going to end this service, ha, 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 with an offering. <laughs> and uh, we can always have an offering, but this ends up that today it's at the end of the service. Don't feel like there's any pressure here, but the point of the matter is this. This is an act of worship. Some of you give online. Some of you do it by e-transfer. Some of you do it by check. Some of you put it in that little box. Some of you will give this way. But I'm inviting you just to continue to partner with us. God will bless each of you no matter what manner you use. Uh, there was a period of time I loved just taking out a big wad of cash and putting it in the envelope. Why? Because it just made me feel it. When I folded a couple hundreds together and I was a young family, I was like, this is, this is, woof. But it, it just made me feel it. Yeah, this is, I'm investing in God's kingdom. Now I can do it by you transfer, whatever it is. But understand, we all partner in this together. So I'm going to invite the ushers forward right now. We're going to take up the morning's offering. We're going to sing that song, I Surrender All. And it's not just your finances, it's your whole life. And God wants to use you, and he will use you. And so let's pray as the ushers prepare to take up this morning's offering. Thank you, Lord, for looking after us. Thank you that you became poor so that we could become rich. And that you look on paltry people like us and allow us to partner with you and with your kingdom work across this world. And I pray your specific blessing upon your people here. 
as they take steps of faith and invest financially in your work here in New Life and across the world. For each child that will receive a star, for each box that will be sent from this church, Lord, may the gospel go out. May families come to know Jesus. May you continue to work through little people like us. People might know the great and awesome God that you are. Thank you. In Jesus' name. If you're a guest, if you're watching online, this is maybe you're like, oh, these guys talk about money all the time. No, this is a one-off. If you're a guest, this was like you were sitting at a family table here. It's kind of a family conversation. But I want to encourage generosity. In two weeks, November 21st, Compassion will be here, uh, Compassion Canada, and allowing you the opportunity to sponsor a child. And so I'm going to keep pushing generosity. I don't get any benefit as a church from any of this stuff. This all goes overseas. And same with Compassion. For the price of less than a cell phone bill, you can bless a family in a third world country. And so in two weeks, I want you to be praying about, should we adopt a kid in a foreign country as, as our compassion child? And so Randy Carter will be here preaching in two weeks. But I just want you to think, you know, be praying about that. God, will you open that in your heart that you should do that? Let us pray. Lord, we give ourselves to you. Our time, finances, our abilities, our gifts, our relationships, Lord, would you use us this week for your glory, for your honor. Give us the faith we need to follow you in obedience as you lead us, O oh Lord. So have your way in our lives. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said.